Mike Rags and Todd Burlidge with a Blue Gold Report podcast. Fighting Irish sports from the inside out. Subscribe to the Blue Gold Report. It's not just talk, it's the Blue Gold Report. Edition of the Blue Gold Report, brought to you by Dio McComb Sons Funeral Homes in Fort Wayne, Indiana. I'm Todd Burge, contributing writer for Blue and Gold Illustrated, Associated Press, UND.com, among a couple other endeavors I take on. I'll be joined, as always, by Mason Plummer. You can find his work at slapthesign.com. Or he actually wrote a very interesting breakdown of the Notre Dame offensive line that I want to dive into a little bit up the line. That's slap, slapthesign.com. You can also find Mason at Mason Plumber Six, me at Todd Burlidge on Twitter. Mason, man, thanks for helping me out today. How you doing? Yeah, of course. Doing good, Todd. How you doing, man? Not too bad. Not too bad. Uh, we're going to dive into a few different things. Notre Dame finally filled a couple, uh, one for sure, and it looks like the other one uh, up the line here, a couple void position group coaching vacancies there. More recruiting because this is the time of the year for it. We're going to revisit sort of that talk that Mason and I have have enjoyed actually debating about when Brian Kelly before the Camping World Bowl said, we are going to take a new approach at recruiting. I think we're starting to see exactly what he was talking about. So we're going to dive into that again. Mason's going to give us a lay of the land as far as landscape and everything. Quick flyby hoops and hockey, but we as we start every show, we're going to get you to some blue gold nuggets. I'll start first, Mason, and we'll go back and forth here. Bleacher Report came out with the top five fastest players in college football for the 2020 season. Notre Dame stuck one on there, even though he's never played a snap or a down. They come in number five, Clemson running back Travis Etienne. He, let's see here, 16, 14 yards, 19 touchdowns, great player, 7.8 yards per carry. All the Notre Dame fans were hoping he'd go pro, but for some reason he came back. Uh, Much to Irish fans' chagrin, he comes in at number four. I guess he weighed in at a 4.3840. Chris Tyree, Notre Dame's recruit coming in here, running back, won the opening's fastest man two years in a row. He also has shows a four three eight. Can't wait to see that. He also has a thirty eight point two vertical jump, which is pretty impressive stuff. Daxton Hill, defensive back, Michigan. This is a bad boy, Mason. Six foot, one hundred ninety pounds, four point three zero forty. He ran that in high school with a forty three point six vertical jump. Six foot one ninety. Those are some big boy numbers there I just threw at you. Derek Stingley Jr., a cornerback from LSU. He comes as as number two as far as fastest guy is concerned, according to Bleacher Report. A consensus All-American as a true freshman. 4-3-0 at the opening is what he ran. And finally, Anthony Schwartz, Auburn. Kind of an athlete guy, does a little bit of everything. Broke the all-time youth high school record in the 100 meter at 10.15. Mason, those are the five fastest dudes, according to Bleacher Report. Notre Dame at least has one on that list. What you got? Well, I'm just going to get the bad news out of the way first, if that's okay with you. Notre Dame wide receiver Jay Brunell, coming in as a freshman, underwent surgery on a separated AC joint in his right shoulder. That's going to leave him uncertain for spring football. That's really disappointing. He was one of those guys that I'm really excited. I was really excited to see in the spring game. Um, I wanted to see what he can do. He's a real he's a real burner. Yeah, he's a guy that I was really looking forward to watch, but it doesn't look like that's going to happen. No, it doesn't. That's too bad, too, as well. Uh, XFL opened shortly after the Super Bowl was completed, and Notre Dame has five guys. It's the revamped XFL. Not so much the goofy nicknames on the jerseys. This is real football. I watched a little bit of it. It was actually somewhat entertaining. 
Uh, running back Terry Folston, he was at Notre Dame from 13 to 16. He plays for the Tampa Bay Vipers. He's actually on IR right now. Linebacker Niles Morgan, who was here from 14 to 17. Seattle Dragons. Linebacker Greer Martini, also 14 to 17. He's with the Dallas Renegades. Dallas is actually coached by Bob Stoops, the former Oklahoma coach. Jaron Jones, offensive tackle here from 12 to 16. He's with the New York Guardians. Finally, long snapper Scott Daly, also here 12 through 16. Another New York Guardians member. Mason, what's next? On a more higher note for me, Pat Connaughton, former Notre Dame guard, playing with the Bucks. Now he's competing in the dunk contest tomorrow. Alongside him will be Dwight Howard of the Lakers, Devin Booker of the Suns, Jason Tatum of the Celtics, Patrick Beverly of the Clippers, and Buddy Heald of the Kings. That's some stiff competition, but uh, we know Pat can get up. Yeah, 44-inch vertical jump at his combine, 2015, I believe it was. Still ranks as the third highest mark in combine NBA combine history. I was texting with him this week. I was trying to pimp him for some tickets. He said, man, they are stingy on these. They don't give too many away because he, he said they know if they give uh, the, the, the guys these kind of seats that they'll just resell them. <laughs> so he said he has a few for family members. He got shut out on that. I really wanted to go see him. I, we're, I'm, I'm actually pretty good friends with him, and uh, we chat quite a bit. So I wish him luck. He's certainly the underdog here, but I'm very much excited for him and disappointed I can't go see him. Combine, Mason, we thought it was going to be eight Notre Dame players that got in, it's actually nine. It was eight last year. It's nine this year, which is the sixth most in the country for any school. The combine runs in Indianapolis from February 23rd to March 2nd. LSU has 16 guys, so they are number one on the 337 total. Notre Dame four offensive players, Chase Claypool and Chris Fink. Chris Fink was the one I did not think would get an invite, but he did. Running back Tony Jones Jr., tight end Cole Komet, and then five defensive players, Khalid Kareem, Julian O'Quire, a couple defensive ends there, safeties, Alohi Gilman and Jalen Elliott, and cornerback Troy Pride Jr. The draft, which all this leads into, is April 23rd through the 25th in Las Vegas. What else you got, Mason? So now the arrivals updated rankings. That's, you know, it's all semantics, according to some people. Some, some people take it super seriously, but there's it, a lot of good stuff for Notre Dame. If you follow Notre Dame recruiting at all or hear what I have to say, Blake Fisher is an absolute monster on recruiting and an absolute monster on the field. He's updated and ranked 20th nationally and third among his position group. Just a crazy recruit for Notre Dame. Could be a five-star by the time it's all over. Another another one that checked in at 37, Lorenzo Stiles Jr. I expect him to play corner. He's ranked as a wide receiver now. Either way, whatever side of the field he plays, much like a Xavier Watts, could be even be a better Xavier Watts. You know, he's going to be a stud wherever Notre Dame puts him. Tyler Buckner, he's ranked as a 43rd best player in the country. So a lot of guys up in this 30 wow. to 40 range. It's great, it's great to see. Gabriel Rubio standing at, uh, he's the last one in the top 100. He's, he's going to be the last one I'm going to talk about at 99. He has a great chance to move up. So in this 2021 class, we're talking about three, five, maybe even six guys that could be five stars. So that's just it's a, an unreal class. As you look at it now. Yeah, very impressive stuff, and we're going to get into that when we get into recruiting. As Brian Kelly says, they're going to ramp it up a little bit. At this point, depending on where you look, it's certainly a top-five class. All right, this will tie into recruiting a little bit, and those are your blue-gold nuggets. And let me throw one more side note in there. Notre Dame has only had one other player in its history in the dunk contest, and that was Orlando Woolridge. He was in it from he was in it in 1984 
which was the first ever dunk contest, and then he was in it in 1985 as well. This new hires this week are finally coming out, Mason. We've been speculating quite a bit on who they might be. John McNulty, 51 years old, Penn State grad, 29 years coaching, but really not a whole lot on his resume as far as a recruiter. John McNulty is your new tight ends coach. Um, Chip Long, when he was here, held that position along with offensive coordinator. Really, when you look at message boards and whatnot, this isn't the splash hire people were hoping for. McNulty and Tom Reese actually coached together for one year out in San Diego. Now, now Reese was obviously a low-level dude, but I should say they crossed paths, not necessarily coached together. A little bit of McNulty's resume. He worked under Skip Holtz um, as a wide receivers coach, and then mainly his college career comes from Rutgers. He had two stops at Rutgers last year. He was fired after 16 games when they kind of cleaned house there. Mason, when you heard the name John McNulty, did you have the same reaction I did? Who the hell is that? I like it. I like it from an experience standpoint. Um, I don't really think about it so much of the, from like a recruiting standpoint that it's a bad thing. He's not. He's not your A one recruiter. But Brian Kelly must feel comfortable with how he's recruiting, how Mike Elson's recruiting, how Tom Reed's recruiting, how Lance Taylor's recruiting. They got a lot of guys that are are willing to work so many hours per week on recruiting and you know if McNulty's not one of those kind of guys that's totally fine I think if he if he can make Michael Mayer and you know Tommy Tremble and those kind of guys if he can make them all Americans like he thinks he can then I think he's just fine you know the Notre Dame tight ends coach they normally don't have a tough job considering the amount of talent that they bring in so hopefully that he can just keep them and playing well okay and that's all fine and dandy but during that 29 year coaching career he has spent exactly two as a tight ends coach. So that's where I'm going to push back on you a little bit and say, yeah, if he can keep things humming along, this has become tight end you like big time. I'm not feeling the love here that you seem to be. I understand what you're saying. They have the frontline recruiters and you don't, but, but this is a position group. Notre Dame, Dame really needs to keep humming along because there, there's no other school in the country that's any better. Are you at all concerned about his lack of experience as a tight ends coach? Maybe a little bit, but I gotta believe that Brian Kelly knows what he's doing when he's bringing this guy in. He has to; he's getting a reference point from somebody. And the two years of experience is a little bit worrying, but with the talent that you have there, and I'm sure there's going to be other people kind of chipping in and helping out as well. I can't imagine they're just going to throw him to the fire. So, you know, I'm gonna, I'm going to give it time. I'll give him the benefit of the doubt for now. But it, um, you know, with it with the talent that's in that tight end that tight end room. If it doesn't go well, you got to imagine that Kelly will just toss them because you got to have production from how high-rated those guys are. I just felt like that was another chance, especially as Brian Kelly talks about bolstering his recruiting and whatnot. I just thought, here's a perfect position that Notre Dame is really humming along in, and you can bring in a coach that is much more established, proven, especially from a recruiting standpoint. I just felt like this was a chance to make another splash higher when it came to recruiting. And at least to me, I think Brian Kelly missed the mark. Perhaps he'll prove me wrong. Uh, moving on to the defensive backs coach. I don't think this has so much been made official yet, but Pete Thamel from Yahoo Sports, he reports that Mike Mickens, 32 years old, he was a four-year letter, letter winner at Cincinnati and a great player, a great defensive back. He will be He will replace Todd Light as Notre Dame's cornerback coach. Todd Light was here from 2015. Mickens was a great player. 
and he worked under Brian Kelly. Let's see here. Brian Kelly was there. Mickens was there from 2005 through 2008 at Cincinnati. He played there at Cincinnati. Brian Kelly coached him in 07 and 08, so they developed a relationship. Most recently for Mickens, he was actually working at Cincinnati as under Luke Fickle as the cornerbacks coach there. And Cincinnati has been terrific here the last two years, back-to-back 11-game winning seasons. That's the best they've done since Brian Kelly left. Do you like this higher? This one I like a little bit better, Mason. I like this one a lot more. If you look at the stats, I was doing this just before we started the show, and Cincinnati's defense, especially their secondary, was dreadful before Mickens took right. over. Uh, they were ranked, you know, they're 130 FBS teams, right? They're 115 plus, and then Mickens takes over, and they're in the top 15 in the country. That's a hundred school difference. That's insane. And if he if he can make this Notre Dame talent a top notch, you know, you have your Kyle Hamiltons of the world, but you know the corners that are a little bit lackluster as compared to the Ohio State and Clemson's of the world. If he can make them a really a top notch group and top notch secondary group, watch out. It seems like he can too, because if you back up in his career a little bit. Mickens really hit his stride under Dino Babers when they were at Bowling Green together. I mean, when you think of Bowling Green, certainly it's not a football powerhouse. But when when those two worked together, Mickens and Babers, Bowling Green won 18 games in 14 and 15. Uh, Babers left for Syracuse. Mickens went and did his own thing, ended up at Cincinnati, as I mentioned earlier. But this guy looks like the real deal. As a matter of fact, on this particular Cincinnati team, Last year, he coached uh, uh, Ahmad Gardner, a true freshman, to All-American honors. So I like this hire a lot with Mickens. He was a four-year letter winner at Cincinnati, spent a short stint in uh, the NFL. Injuries caught the, got the best of him there. But, Mason, it sounds like we're in agreement. We like this hire. Yeah, I think so. And I'm excited for him to get his hands on these new freshmen. Notre Dame brought in a good amount of freshman corners, Ramon Henderson, Caleb Offord not Landon Burles anymore, but guys that have high potential, guys that I'm really excited to see him get his hands on. So uh, there's a lot of potential. Looking forward to meeting him and uh, seeing what he can do with these guys. And you're right, it is a little bit of a position group that's in flux. When you look at what you lost, you lost Troy Pride Jr., and, and you, you lost both your safeties in Gilman and Elliott. So it's very much a clean slate when he gets in here outside of Kyle Hamilton. All right, Mason, let's move to your wheelhouse of things, recruiting. Just going to pop this clip in because this kind of gives us a reference point So for where I want to go. This is Brian Kelly, unprompted, kind of threw everybody off a little bit before the Camping World Bowl, just a couple days before, when he said, you know what, I'm tired of being in the teams and recruiting. It's time to muscle ourselves to the top five. So here's a little bit how Brian Kelly described it. And then Mason and I will talk about it after the fact. We have some things in the work that that we want to establish from a recruiting standpoint that changes our, um, I think, view as it relates to national recruiting. Uh, We want to break out of the the 15th rank or the 10th rank. We want to get into that next echelon. And so philosophically, we have to... We have to do some things to get to that level. Um, Complement, and then secondly, uh, break through that recruiting threshold. But we need to. Okay. Um, and, and I think we can change the way we do some things that I think will allow us to do that. So there you have it, Mason. You were awesome because several weeks ago you pointed out the big thing that happened with, with uh, Brian Kelly when it came to improving his recruiting You referenced wide receiver Jalen McMillan that ended up at Washington and safety 
Lathan Ransom, who ended up at Ohio State, both these kids came out and said, if Brian Kelly would have talked to us more, we probably would have ended up at Notre Dame. So let's start there. So Brian Kelly has now made a fresh commitment, it would appear, to getting out and about. As a matter of fact, in January, he visited eight states, all the top players, really making his presence known a little bit more on the, maybe a lot more, frankly, on the recruiting trail. Mason, have you noticed that? Would you agree with that assessment that Brian Kelly is trying to get his hands dirty a little bit more? Yeah, I would totally agree. I just wish it would have came a little bit earlier. I totally see Lathan Ransom and Jalen McMillan as first or second round picks in the NFL. These guys are not quite generational talents, but they're some of the best talents in that 2020 class. And it would have been great to add them to an already stellar 2020 class. So it's just, it's kind of disappointing. You know, it's not quite little too little too late, but it is almost there for me. Um, Kelly's been at Notre Dame for quite a while now, entering his 11th season, I believe. Right. And you're just kind of figuring out now that, oh, yeah, well, I should probably get, you know, hit the recruiting trail harder. And I get that he, you know, he works probably an insane amount of hours per week. But that's how you take Notre Dame to a national title level. You know, Notre Dame, they tend to, uh, they, they're making guys better. You know, they're within the system, within the, you know, the strength, conditioning, everything is great. And you're making, you're making a three-star guy, potentially like a four- or five-star guy. But what can you do when you're recruiting four- and five-star right. guys? You can make them first-round picks. So just getting better quality in there and, you know, not to make swings and misses on corners and stuff like that. So Brian Kelly going out there and just getting recruiting firsthand alongside Lance Taylor and Tom Reeves, I think it's huge. Guys want to hear from the head coach. They're the guy that's running everything. You really want you want to know who you're playing for. So rather than a system that switches up every year or two, Brian Kelly's been there for a while. So you got to imagine that the players like that, and you know they've spoken and they've spoken out and said it. So now it's just down to Brian Kelly. It's on his own to do it. Yeah, you're exactly right. And McMillan even said it. He didn't have to necessarily even text me, text my mom, text my dad. He did none of that. And Brian Kelly's pushback on that is that you know be in the years before the early signing period there in December. He felt like he had to sort of babysit his class, his his current class that he was working on against poachers more than start to build on the future. So he feels like he can do more of that. I think that's a little bit of a cop-out, but, but we'll take him at his word on that. Yeah, and you're right. He's had 11, he's through 11 recruiting cycles now, and only once in that time has he had a kind of consensus top 10 class. That's where he wants to get. If you're going to do that, guess who you're up against? You're up against recruiting Fab Five, that's Ohio State, Clemson, Alabama, Georgia, and LSU. Mason, I found this fascinating when I read it. Those five teams have signed more top 50 prospects in four of the last five years than the rest of college football combined. Let me repeat that. Uh, Ohio State, Clemson, Alabama, Georgia, and LSU. Those five signed more top 50 prospects than everybody else in Division I football. And to join that elite club is going to be very tough. Brian Kelly, I think, regrettably, when he goes back to introducing his 2017 class, which was ranked number 13, which wasn't too shabby coming off a 4-8 and eight season in 16, during his press conference, he said that we will always fall between 10 and 20 because of the distinctions we have. And we all know what those distinctions are, Mason. Academic requirements, seasonal climate. A lot of these public schools that we're talking about here, they have a lot of online coursework now that's not available at Notre Dame. So that's another factor, a more recent factor. And you have to live in your dorm, and it's not an athletic dorm here at Notre Dame. Those won't change, okay? So those won't change. So we've obviously touched on Brian Kelly needing to be more involved 
in recruiting. But I think what they're doing now also, Mason, I'd like you to address this. They're starting to get on guys earlier. And I think that's something Notre Dame was failing in. They weren't on guys early enough, especially the premier guys. As a matter of fact, when you're looking at the 2022 class, which they're still sophomores in high school, they already have 26 scholarship offers out here. And their top seven of those guys are all private school guys. So I think they're doing a better job of identifying the type of targets they think they can get and offering them early. Are you seeing some of that, Mason? agree totally. I was actually just going to throw out that private school stat. So you you got to know what kind of guys you're looking for. You can't recruit the same guys that, for example, Alabama and even Georgia are looking at. Just from your academic standards, the Catholic University, stuff like that. I, didn't, you didn't, I was waiting for you to mention in your uh, – and your point about it being more difficult in Notre Dame, some guys aren't religious. Some guys don't want to go to Mass all the time. Right. And that's totally understandable. It takes a different kind of guy to go to Notre Dame and be be able to succeed academically, athletically, and then also be religious like they want you to be, whether you're you know you're Catholic or not. So it just, it's, it's a different kind of kid that comes to Notre Dame, and I think you've got to get on those guys early and make it known, hey, you know, this is where you want to be. You can be comfortable here. And, uh, yeah, getting on them early in the 2022 class, we're seeing it especially, uh, like you said, uh, that many scholarships already offered. So I think it's important to get with a guy early and just have just be in his ear, you know, hey, we're still here. We're and get really getting to know somebody too, other than just, you know, like a, a very limited personal level, really get to know them deeply and m- make sure you feel like they you, know, you care about them. First of all, identify the right ones, the right fit, as you mentioned, and then offer them and then stay on them. You know, I think they want to use the Kyle Hamilton model. You know, when you look at where he came from, Marist School, you know, that's a little small private Catholic school outside of Atlanta. He was the perfect fit, and they actually handled his recruiting perfectly. I can't help but wonder if maybe Kyle Hamilton opened their eyes a little bit about how to approach this thing. When we talk about recruiting in Notre Dame, we talk about offensive line a lot. Tight ends and offensive line really seem to be the go-to positions for these university. Tell us about the story you have on SlapTheSign.com. You, you gave a nice breakdown. I read it. It's going to be going out later on this evening or possibly even in the morning to everybody. But, yeah, so I went through each position group every single one and went through everybody that's on the current roster, including the freshmen started with left tackle, went all the way to right tackle. So just going through every single player telling you what they're, what about them, you know, what you need to know, size, where they're from, stuff like that, whether they have a chance to play, who I project to be the starter, second string, third string. So a really in-depth dive into the entire offensive line. Um, the offensive line isn't always the most exciting position to write about, but it definitely is important, and they're getting recruited at a high level. And these are guys you're going to be seeing in the NFL. So it's it, at least for someone like me, it's really cool to get to know them now. So you're watching them through their Notre Dame career, and then you get to see them on Sundays later on. So it's pretty cool for me. It better be cool for everybody to read it and look at it because it's going to be the best unit on all of Notre Dame football. Let's make a quick flyby men's hoops. Uh, really disappointing loss Tuesday against Virginia, fifty forty nine. I always say, I've said it forever, that the first team to 60 wins 85% of its games in college basketball. This particular one I adjusted because I said the first one to 50. Well, Virginia got to 50, Notre Dame didn't. And it moved Tony Bennett, Virginia's coach, to 123 wins and three losses when he holds an opponent to under 50 points. It's what they do. It was a bad loss for me because the win that they could have stolen, they could have had, 
actually had a five-point lead and gave up a 10-0 run in the second half and had their opportunities. Uh, if they were 7-6, and six, they'd be tied for fourth in the league, and I think it's going to be a four-team, four-bid league. Now they're 6-7. and seven. They're in a, in a log jam at seventh. So I thought that was a bad loss. Up next is Duke. Mike Bray, believe it or not, Mason, you can take this uh, out and about tonight. At one point when Mike Bray joined the ACC, he made, he beat Mike Krzyzewski five out of six games. Mike Bray won him five out of six against the legendary coach, including two straight in the 15 and 16 ACC tournaments. Uh, Bray was 5-2 and two against Krzyzewski. That has flipped quite a bit. Duke has now won five straight, the last three by 20 points or more, and I think that's going to happen today, Saturday at 4 p.m. I don't like Notre Dame's chances very much. The Irish are 1-8 and eight all-time in Cameron. I want to just kind of back up a little bit to this Virginia loss because it was a tough one. Notre Dame had its chances, didn't do well. And here's Mike Bray kind of talking about that particular loss and then a little bit of the State of the Union. God, I'm sick for our guys. We played our hearts out. Give credit to Virginia. Again, they're really hard to score against. And and uh, we had a couple possessions down the stretch where they just kind of shut us down. And it's kind of hard to run your stuff. And, uh, so I'm disappointed for us because I think we're playing pretty well. We played fearlessly. We put ourselves in position. We thought it'd be a rock fight. I told him it would. It was. And... You know, they're they're probably more accustomed to the rock fights than us. Disappointed, you know, certainly in the standings, and I guess it's kind of a quality. It would have been it's a quality win for Virginia. Uh, so, you know, it's uh, it's disappointing we couldn't get it. So that's the third one point loss in an ACC game this year. They have been really there's been some difficult losses. Mason kind of hanging around. Their BPI is number forty nine. Uh, their NCAA net ranking is 53, so that's still manageable. That's not too far. Mason, is there any hope for this team to still make a run, or do you think they're dead in the water? I really think beating Virginia is going to be key because, in my opinion, when you're looking at how the the ACC shaken out, I think you had to beat – Virginia was a gimme at that point. Right. And then you, I think you got to beat one of Duke or North Carolina, one of their two next up, upcoming games. I don't like Notre Dame's chances at Cameron. You have North Carolina then. But in, in North Carolina's down, but still it's North Carolina, and they, they have a better team than Notre Dame. So I think you had to win two of those three. You lose to Virginia, and now you put yourself in a tough spot trying to beat Duke and North Carolina back-to-back. I don't see it happening. Yeah, four games in uh, eight days against top, top competition. Now, again, you get Duke on Saturday, then you come home, and you play North Carolina on Big Monday. Uh, you you got to get one of these two, or you're right back where you were. You know when you're talking about one and four and two and six. Mason, a real quick fly by the women here had their three game winning streak broken at BC. Had that game kind of won, but lost at the buzzer, fifty six fifty five. They are ten and fifteen overall, five and eight in conference. Skylar Diggins Smith, she played for Tulsa and Dallas, same program, but the team relocated. Uh, she was traded to Phoenix this week where she will make up a big three, a big three at Phoenix with uh, Deanna Taurasi, Brittany Griner, and Skylar Diggins. Now, who the hell's going to beat that team? Hockey now 12-11-5, coming off a bye week. They will get a home series with Minnie this weekend and try to get their mojo gone before the Big Ten starts. Mason, we're at 28 minutes spot up, my friend. Man, it always flies by. Thank you, my friend. We'll talk to you next week, okay? All right, sounds good, Todd. Thanks. That was the Blue Gold Report brought to you by D.O. McComb and Sons. Once again, check out Mason Plummer. Slap the sign.com. He has that wonderful article 
breaking down the Notre Dame offensive line. You can find him at Mason Plummer 6. You can find me at Todd Burlage on Twitter. Thanks, y'all, for joining us. We'll talk to you next week. This has been a presentation of Optin Productions. Podcasts by Federated Media. Podcasts by Federated Media.